Hey guys, welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven. That is my book-loving wife, Liberty. And we're a married couple with very different interests who are trying to bring the other person to our side. Today's episode is about them books. Finally. Yes. And if you see claws anywhere, see here, then you'll know that it's from our cat, our CEO. Our cat enforcement officer, the CEO. Yeah. She has been getting up to some mischievous things right before we sat down to record this episode, so we'll see if that makes it into the pod. The latest book news starts out from Disney Publishing. They're starting a whole new series of fairy tale retellings for adult audiences. I thought they were going to do more Star Wars things or more Marvel things, so Here's the thing about Disney. They can keep doing all the things because they have all the money. Because they own all the things. Right. But the first book is coming out in August of 2021, so a while from now. And it's going to be titled If the Shoe Fits, a meant-to-be-novel by Julie Murphy. It's a retelling of Cinderella, obviously. And in this retelling, a fashion enthusiast, Cindy, is forging her way in the world of shoe design, but she works with her stepmother, who is an executive producer of a reality dating show, and she agrees to go on to the show as one of the very many ladies that this bachelor of some sort can pick. I don't mean to slam Disney, but this is garbage. (laughs) Like, well, lately there have been more and more sort of stories about like what it would be like to be a contestant on a dating show. I'm thinking of one in particular. And in that same vein, this main character is someone who is plus sized, body positive. So that's sort of different for comparing to what our reality dating shows are in America. Right. All of them in America right now are super blonde, super thin. And that's all you can look like to be a contestant on the dating shows we have here. And so this is trying to put a little bit of a spin on that. And it's similar to another book that recently came out that I can't think of the title of right now. It was a book of the month pick recently. And it does the same sort of thing. So I don't know how they're going to differentiate themselves from that. But I have seen other Disney retellings. I'm specifically thinking of the one where they take the tales and then do some sort of like villainous twist on it. And I'm more interested in that than this. Gotcha. But again, this is only the first book from like this line of retelling. So who knows where it's going to go from there. But it sounds like a romance and plus size body positive is something that kind of needs to be seen more in the literary world. So I'm not having a problem with that at all. And then CBS All Access has released the official trailer for their show of The Stand, which is based off the Stephen King novel of the same name. The show is going to feature actors like Whoopi Goldberg, Alexander Skarsgård, and James Marsden, and more. But those were only names I recognized. Let's say Whoopi Goldberg hasn't been relevant in how many years? Rude, but kind of true. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. She had a talk show that she was on, and that's about it. Yeah. She was on The View as one of the ladies. But it's a limited series, which I don't know how you do that with source material that is that long. But also, it's going to have a new conclusion, which has been written by Stephen King, so it's already going to deviate from the actual book. I don't know how that all is going to work out, 
This is the book that I was talking about before about weaponized super flu developed by the U.S. military that accidentally gets released into the public and kills 99% of the world population. Yeah. And then it sort of turns into this holy war between two, like, factions, two sets of people where each one thinks that they're the good guy, but someone's the bad guy. And the reader, the audience isn't supposed to necessarily know who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. You can have breadcrumbs that sort of lead you to one opinion or another, but apparently people have concerns about this show now that the trailer's been released because they say that it's too obvious who the bad guys are supposed to be, like, just from the trailer. Yeah. And so already people are questioning this adaptation. Yeah. How accurate it really is. Well, and I have a problem with anyone who wants to come in after the book's been published and change it or add things to it or pulls a JK Rowling and says all this information about their characters without it being in the canon. Yeah. So I don't know. I think I might try to watch the first episode, maybe, but it's also like slightly gory if I'm remembering it correctly. I'm not a fan of that. Gotcha. So we'll see. And then the last bit of actual news that I have is that book sales are down for the second week in a row. Book sales dropped last week by 5.5% and this week a following 1.2% drop. People are speculating about the reason for this and some are saying that the anticipated releases for this season haven't really come out yet. Like some fall releases have obviously already happened, but like the big ones who already have huge followings and people are super excited for haven't dropped yet. So they say that's part of the reason for the numbers going down. But part of the reason is that books that were really popular when the pandemic started have started dwindling. So books like How to Be an Anti-Racist, White Fragility and The Room Where It Happened are decreasing in number of books sold. I'm not surprised America has a short attention span. Yeah, it's not headline news currently, so therefore it's not news. Right. Yeah. And publishers are hoping the numbers go up as we get closer to holidays, people buying books for each other, new releases coming out between now and then. Yeah. However, despite the numbers going down for two weeks in a row, we're still up compared to last year at this time. By 6.4%. So people are still reading during the pandemic, still reading when they're stuck at home or whatever. So I don't think that these two weeks are really going to be that big of a hit in the overall sales for the year. Uh, Yeah, I think if you're up over 6% in any sales style category, that's usually a good thing year over year. Yeah, and especially people my age, I think we're still into books and we're still into print books yeah and so i don't know that anything's gonna stop our generation from continuing to buy books over the year yeah so one of my new employees and my wife is very happy that he's been hired because he's a book nerd like herself finally you have one in your store yes he brought in a hardback cover of a book the other day and one of my other employees was like wait people still buy books Oh, man. And I, both myself and him turned and gave him a look like, really? Yeah. And for the first time, I was like, yeah, I guess I'm a part of that group now. (laughs) That gives you the weird look. Yeah. Because, like, I had always bought ebooks prior to that. Like, I didn't really own hard copies of anything, so. Well, especially now, you're starting to get all of the specialty books. 
Yeah. So either special editions of books that have already come out. This is pretty much his argument as well, which is scary. Or <laughs> you have book box books. So like book of the month books or fairy loot or other that change the cover or they do special inner flap designs or sprayed edges or whatever that make this book unique so you're getting those sales as well as the regular books getting sold so that's i think why physical books are making a comeback have some sort of like resurgence here but also i just prefer the physical books Well, the same thing kind of happened with records, so it's really not that shocking that that pattern kind of rotates back around. It's really weird. Our generation at one point was all like, everything digital, everything digital, and now we're like, we want something we own. Right. Well, (laughs) Like something with substance. I've sort of always been this way, but there are some people who have, you know, gone back and forth. Like, I would prefer a physical thing that I can hold and always have or however long the book stands up. Yeah. But ebooks are convenient. It's just. Yeah, very on the go. You have to determine what your life really looks like. Like, are you the type of person who can sit down with a book and have the time to read? Or is it one of those things you're constantly on the go and you're reading while you're taking the subway into work or whatever? Right. Yeah. But I think, like, looking at my books right now, they make me very happy. Whereas when I look at my Kindle, I don't get that. Yeah. And so that just brings me around to the Marie Kondo style of thinking, like, if it sparks joy, you can keep it sort of thing. And, like, I wouldn't want to get rid of any of these books because they spark that joy. So that's why I buy physical books because they give me that when I look at the books. You sure it's not just the buying of books that is the the joy? I do find joy in buying books, but I've done a very good job (laughs) over the course of the past three years of getting my physical TBR from around 100 down to now 12. Yeah. So I think that's a feat in itself. Yeah, I agree. But I don't don't think a two-week dip or even if it continues for two weeks after that is going to have that big of an impact compared to how the rest of the year is already gone. And you have big name books are going to be coming out towards the end of this year so i don't think that's gonna be a problem for the rest of the year it's just the delays of book releases just like movies is affecting the business in some way shape or form go figure yeah you've got a new jen bennett coming out in november that was supposed to be earlier in the year but it's still a big name you have from a certain point of view which is that star wars book that has multiple authors and they take a minor character and give them like a story you've got a sky beyond the storm by sabah tahir which is the last book in the an ember in the ashes series so that's, that's, a, that's a, a really big one i've heard about that's yeah. a really big release for december so i think you're not gonna have to really worry about that for the rest of the year i think we're gonna be fine as far as book sales go right plus christmas always christmas yeah as for what tag we're gonna do this week i decided to do one that i feel like you'll be more capable of answering mm-hmm. i was tagging you oh <laughs> you just started tapping my leg i didn't know what was happening Tag good. i thought i was in trouble no the one we're doing i thought i would do one where you can more actively engage in versus you going well harry potter <laughs> so this you read the one book this is the this or that tag so it gives you two things and you just have to 
pick one. Okay. I thought that would be easier. <laughs> well, I have to make up a decision, so yes, probably will be easier. Do you prefer reading on the couch or reading in bed? On the couch, I feel like I get more comfortable and I don't get so comfortable that I fall asleep because if I read in bed, guaranteed I'm going to fall asleep. It's, it could be the most enthralling book I've ever read and I would still just conk out, but... That has more to do, I think, with physical exhaustion than it has to do with anything else. So. Right. I also said reading on the couch just because that's literally where I do like 95% of my reading. Yeah. So I could read in bed, but the problem often becomes that becomes a reading spot instead of a sleeping spot. So then I'll just want to read all night and then not go to bed, which I've done before. You have done plenty of times in the past. Yeah. And that's a problem. So yeah. I try to keep it out of the bed. <laughs> Got it. Main characters, do you prefer them to be male or female main characters? Um, well, I've read books with both, so I really don't have a preference on that, I guess. I kind of feel the same, except for the fact that when I was growing up, all of the main characters were male yeah. because publishers thought that boys wouldn't read as much if it wasn't from a male perspective at the time. In, this is in the 90s. Well, I don't believe that good characters are good characters no matter how they are sexual orientation wise well it's also part of the reason that jk rowling is jk rowling and not joanne catherine rowling because they were worrying about boys reading because i guess girls are going to read no matter what but they specifically worried about the male audience as i was growing up so that's why she's jk rowling and that's why a lot of the books in the 90s were male perspectives yeah so I think we need more female voices than male in the publishing world. But at the same time, you do have sort of this flood of female protagonists in YA. Yeah. So maybe even that out a little and then do the same for other age ranges. But that's the only reason I would really think there needs to be more female voices is because that bs that happened when i was growing up and only being able to find books that were male main characters right would you prefer a sweet or salty snack when you're reading and don't say you don't eat when you read we all know that no one's allowed to eat while they're reading my books i do eat while i read sometimes Excuse so me? uh i would say prior to having braces it was salty snacks but now it's more sweet because i can't eat salty things right now for the yeah. most part because salty things come with things that are not Crunchy. braces friendly usually yeah no. i said sweet but i have a sweet tooth we both know this yeah i literally could sit there and eat like a bag of pretzels while i read all day long and i'd be super happy yeah i could eat a bag of kisses while i read yeah that would be nice but then i don't want chocolate in my books so i don't yeah do you prefer trilogies or quartets I've never read a quartet, so... Like, right here you have the Raven Cycle. That's... I, I know what it means. Oh, okay. <laughs> Jesus. I just haven't read them, so yeah. I would say trilogy, because I've read a few trilogies, so... I said quartet because I never think any book is long enough, so it'd be weird for me to go with the shorter option. But you've also complained in the past about books that are stretching themselves out too long as well, so... That's true. That's true. But my main complaint with books is that they're too short. And the only time I ever really say that they're too long is if there's no substance in the book. So as long as there's some sort of plot, a quartet. Do you prefer first person point of view or third person? Again, I think that kind of depends on the, the type of book, but I'd probably say I would lean more towards third person perspective than from first person view. I said the same, but that's just because when you do third person, you're more able to do multiple 
points of view. Right. So you can have chapters in multiple right. perspectives. So I prefer third. Yeah. Are you a night or morning reader, which we actually discussed earlier today? Yeah, we literally did. So I wish I was more of a morning reader, um, but I'm not because I'm usually very sleepy in the morning. Yeah. At night, I'm physically exhausted, but mentally still really sharp because my brain hasn't shut off from work yet. So yeah. like, I'm very efficient reader at night. So I would probably say night reading. I said I'm a midday reader. I technically chose something reader. else. I don't like to read in the morning because, like, my brain hasn't powered on yet. And I don't like to read at night because by the time I could start reading for the night, I'm just ready to go to sleep already. So I just prefer to read in the middle of the day when I have time. Yeah. Do you prefer libraries or bookstores? Neither. (laughs) Well, I make you go to bookstores, so at least you know what they look like. Yeah, and I know what libraries look like, too, because I spent my fair share of them through high school and the few college years I did go to college in. I don't know. That's a tough one. I probably would say bookstore just because you don't have books that have been touched by a million other people, usually speaking. Like, you might have had a couple dozen people touch it, but that's a lot better than, like, the thousands of people that touch the books in the library I all the time. I think that COVID has changed your line of thinking because <laughs> you definitely don't want to go anywhere near the germs. Yeah. However, when it comes to buying books, I feel like the library book sales have been more efficient for us in money, so... But at the same time, I have picked up a number of, like, two-star books... From those sales. Yeah. I have yet to find something that I think is like a four or five star book from the library sale. Yeah. So as far as which ones I like more, I like the idea of libraries more. I just, I don't use them as often as I feel like I should. And I tried to sign up for a library card when COVID started and it just, the whole system's down. You have to go in to do a library card here and I can't go in because the library's closed. So this is a whole mess. Yeah. It's a lot easier to have books shipped to me from the store at this point. Do you prefer books that make you laugh or books that make you cry? Books that make me laugh. Yeah. I said books that make me laugh. I think emotions are gross. (laughs) If it's a bad feeling, I don't want it. Right. And, like, that's part of the problem I have with TV shows, especially, like, Disney movies at this point. If I try to watch a Disney movie and it starts off sad, I will leave. I'll shut it off. I'll get the F away from my feelings. That's why I hate the movie Up so much. (laughs) All more recent Disney movies are like that, sadly. Yeah. Well, I think all Disney movies have that sort of, like, sad, really low point, and then it builds you back up into, like, the good, happy feelings. And then it crashes and then builds itself back up again. It's usually the combination of it all, yeah. Do you like books that have black or white covers? What's your preference? Probably black covers. Because we have some white ones here. Yeah, probably black covers. Yeah, black. Because I feel like the contrast with the colors that also go on the black covers usually looks better than they do on white. Yeah, I prefer black over the white. Although, looking at my shelves, I didn't realize I had so many white books. Jeez. And the last question, do you prefer character-driven or plot-driven stories? Uh, Plot-driven. No one here is surprised. I said character-driven, because as I've said before, I could watch my favorite characters stand in a room watching paint dry, and I would love the story. But if there's no plot for the characters to be loved for, is there really a reason to read a book? I mean, that is the debate, isn't it? So that That's literally the only thing to say about that. I personally like 
with certain books that I'm thinking of off the top of my head, they could go to Wendy's and I would read a story about it. Like they could do anything. You I would. There's I love no them way. so much. I love how they interact together. Like I'm thinking of friend groups like in the Raven Cycle Quartet or in like the Six of Crows duology, like how they interact together is part of the plot, in my opinion. Shaking my head no over here. Don't worry. Well, I'm sorry I can't hear the rocks rolling around in your head oh, while you do that. Oh, you got jokes. Four days. But as for what I've been reading, I read an arc from NetGalley called Meet Me at Fir Tree Lodge by Rachel Dove. I rated it 2.25 stars. So that was weird. So far, Christmas books have not been successful for you really lately. Well, that's but- part of the problem. It wasn't actually a Christmas book. Oh, like, but it sounds like it is. It The plot sounded like it was, and the cover looked like it was, but then it was just happening in the mountains in, like, late fall, early winter, but it wasn't actually Christmas. Yeah. Like, Christmas happened weeks after the story was over. Hmm. So, I wasn't a fan of sort of being misled on that front. I can understand that completely. And then I had a problem, because it's supposed to be a hate-to-love trope, but the problem is... The novella is so short. It's 130 pages. I I don't know how you get a good hate to love in 130 pages. I just don't. And it wasn't good. On time. And like this guy was visiting from England, and the girl lives in the French Alps. And in the story, he's only there for a week. And that first night, he acts like a jerk, does a lot of things that. I would just look at a guy and be like, okay, I can never think of you as anything but that a-hole. And for some reason, like two days later, maybe, she all of a sudden is in love with him. So I uh, had a real problem with this. I can imagine. But the story is about a girl who was a champion skier and then she got into an accident. And after the accident, her fiance left her and she had time gaining the confidence to get back on the slopes. And then by the end of the story, she's back on the slopes and competing. And like, that's her like arc there. Gotcha. Outside of the romance plot. And the guy, he's a character who is full of contradictions, which, hi, we all are in society full of contradictions. It's just... They're so opposing that it doesn't make sense. So in the story, he's very nerdy. He works in IT. He works remotely. He's got glasses. Like he's supposed to be like the IT geek. Gotcha. But somehow he's also competing in the skiing competition as a novice. And during one of their dates, they run into her ex-fiance and he's just like an alpha jerk turned into like this alpha male and that part of the personality doesn't fit in with the rest of the personality and it's so contradictory i can't see how that fits into a character that makes sense right and it falls into this sort of issue that i have with why an adult romances where like this guy being like super possessive and a jerk and all of that is supposed to be is supposed to be hot or sexy or something (laughs) and it's just like no if you run around like grabbing my arm and yelling at this other guy in front of me i'm just gonna think you're a jerk i'm not gonna be like oh that's so attractive yeah so the characters were part of the problem but also just like the setup was a problem plus there was no christmas which is always a problem Especially in every if it's book. christmas themed well that's what it 
said, don't advertise to be a Christmas book if you're not a Christmas book. Yeah. The next book I read was Lock Every Door by Riley Sager, which I rated 3.5 stars. And I think I was mixing up this book with a Ruth Ware book called Turn of the Key when I originally talked about it last time. Because I said that it was about a lady who was a house sitter and like it was a smart home, but this isn't a smart home. The other book is about a smart home, like horror story. Gotcha. And basically, this girl's really down on her luck. She just lost her job and her boyfriend. And I guess that's how all women start all their stories this week. And she sees an ad on Craigslist advertising for needing a house sitter. And it's a three-month stay at this really famous apartment complex in New York. And you have to follow these ridiculous rules. But at the end of it, you have $12,000 for three months of quote-unquote work. And, like, it sounded like it was going to be really creepy and atmospheric, but it never got there for me. Like, the atmosphere never felt creepy or weird or, like, on the edge of your seat sort of feeling. So that's part of what the rating's about. It just, it doesn't hit what I'm thinking I'm supposed to be feeling. Right. Because, like, these weird things are happening, but the whole time for me it's more like a, who did this? Why did they do this? It's never me feeling creeped out or, like, scared. Right. The ending, for me, it felt like the end of a TV show, like the finale for like the whole shebang for a TV show. Like that's the last episode ever because it just went off the rails. That's too bad. Yeah. And Riley Sager is supposed to be an author that like everyone I know loves. And maybe it's just this book because he's written a lot. It is a boy, by the way, a man. Despite the name, he writes under a pen name, so he can sell more books. I know multiple male Riley, so I'm not shocked. Yeah. Well, supposedly they thought he would sell more in the mystery genre under a woman's name versus under his own name. But it came out last year that it's actually a guy. But maybe there are other books of his that I would like. This one's just not it. Gotcha. And then I ended the week rereading A Torch Against the Night by Saba Tahir, which I rated 4.25 stars. So the best book of the week was a reread. <laughs> and again, I'm rereading the whole series before the last book comes out in December. It's the second book in an Ember in the Ashes quartet, I guess it's going to be. It's about this fantasy world where... This girl's brother is taken to prison because he has been found to be working with the Rebellion. And she's going out of her way to work with the Rebellion so they'll save him. The second book basically takes off from where the first book left off, like, immediately, which I appreciated. No left-behind information, like, or... No big gaps. Yeah, like, six months later, you know. A lot of the stuff that happens at the first part of this book, for some reason, I thought happened at the end of the first book. But that's just because of how fast I read the series the first time. Everything bled together. As I say, it's all smushing together a little bit. And there were some things I completely forgot about, like giant plot things. And I had just completely forgot about it. So I'm really glad I'm rereading before the next one comes out. But also at the same time, parts of it while I was reading it, I'm like, oh, honey, no, no. Don't do that. But, of course, the characters don't listen to me. Well, they can't hear you, so... Whose fault is that? Um, not mine. You're, I guess you're right, kind of. <laughs> but it's a book, so it's not really anybody's fault. It's reality's fault. fault. Sure. We'll blame reality. 
what I'm reading next going into that. So I technically have hit a tertiary goal for the year. And so I'm going to try to slow down my reading at this point. Basically, no matter how many books I get through each week, I'm most likely still going to read more books than I've ever read in a year. Okay, so thanks. you have a personal best this year. Yeah, thanks to COVID and being stuck in a bed for a month and reading like 20 books in one month. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, so my previous max for a year was 110. Right now, I've read 104 books for the year. So I only need to read six more to make that same. So... I'm just going to try to read two books a week instead of three books a week. And so for the next week, I'll be reading Mistletoe and Mr. Wright by Sarah Morgenthaler. It's a new release from October 6th. And it's the second book in the Moose Springs, Alaska companion novels. So Which you told me there's no moose in, which is really just There's a moose. Is there? Yeah. Oh, okay. I was going to be really upset if it was called Moose Springs and there was no moose in there it. There was a moose in the last one, and there's going to be a moose in this one. So I'm thinking they will all have a moose. That's good. But this one takes a side character from the first novel and gives her, like, a romance storyline. The first book I had read in, like, a 24-hour period, so I'm hoping I can keep up roughly that same time frame for this one. But I'm only 60 pages in, and I really like it. So I'm looking forward to finishing it this week. And then the second book that I want to finish this next week is The Diviners by Libba Bray. Now, this is a backlist novel from 2012, so I'm really behind in reading this one. I wasn't interested in it until, like, this past year. Something that I had heard about in passing through BookTube and then never really caught my eye until this year, so I decided to get it with my birthday money. But instead of trying to piece together the different things I've heard about it to explain what it is, I'm going to actually read the synopsis from Goodreads. Evie O'Neill has been exiled from her boring old hometown and shipped off to the bustling streets of New York City. And she is positively ecstatic. <laughs> it's 1926 and New York is filled with speakeasies, Zeigfeld girls, and rockish pickpockets. Rakish? That's the word. <laughs> The only catch is that she has to live with her uncle Will and his unhealthy obsession with the occult. Evie worries her uncle will discover her darkest secret, a supernatural power that has only brought her trouble so far. But when the police find a murdered girl branded with a cryptic symbol and Will is called to the scene, Evie realizes her gift could help catch a serial killer. As Evie jumps headlong into a dance with a murderer, other stories unfold in a city that never sleeps. A young man named Memphis is caught between two worlds. A chorus girl named Theta is running from her past. A student named Jericho is hiding a shocking secret. And unknown to all, something dark and evil has awakened. Sounds interesting. And kind of sounds up my alley. It sounds sort of like a murder mystery situation, which I'm always down for. I definitely heard a lot of talk about it on all the episodes of things you watch for booktube so it would be the first time i've heard it's, of it it's like a ya staple at this point yeah so the fact that i'm reading it like eight years after it came out is bad yeah you're behind the times i really am and then i'm hoping to start but not finish in the study with the wrench by diana peterfrund which is part of the clue mysteries series Right. It comes out on Tuesday, so I'm hoping I get it in the mail by, like, Saturday and I can start it. Basically, it's about 
a tucked away boarding school in Maine that's hard to get to. So it's usually a closed circle mystery situation. And I think it's going to be the students are coming back from winter break and having to deal with the fallout from the first one. And mm. then someone else dies. Bum, bum, bum. Exactly. It'll be very fitting for October. Yeah, it sounds nearly perfect for October. The only one that doesn't really fit with that is Mistletoe and Mr. Right, because that's a Christmas book. Yeah, that's kind of a strange one. But I'll read a Christmas book any time of the year. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be shocked by it either. <laughs> but you have finally started Half-Blood Prince. You've read, what, the first third-ish? Yes, the first third-ish. It's a little more than a third that I've read, but yeah, roughly the first third of the book. Which basically puts me through the end of chapter 11, I believe. Okay. God, I wrote way more notes than I thought I did. <laughs> Probably won't go into all of it for our sanity's sake. But so far, so good. I actually really like the way it fired off. I think the scene with the Prime Minister and the Ministry of Magic uh, Minister is phenomenal. The way that they just... Like, I couldn't imagine being the Prime Minister and then, like, hearing a painting cough. Right. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, what? Where did that come from? Like, am I losing my mind? I know I've been running for this election, but, like... Where, where am I? I think this is the best start to any of the Harry Potter books. Because it's still silly and sort of crazy, but then it's also it's dark. dark. Yeah, yeah. So I really like that. Yeah. Obviously, you get introduced to the new uh, Minister of Magic, uh, Rufus Scrimgeour. Scrimgeour? Scrimgeour. I feel I like a lot of the names in Harry Potter are up to adaptation of pronunciation for some of them. Like, obviously not the main characters like Ron or Hermione or whatever, but, like, that one, that last name, like, that could be said about 80 different ways. Well, I can pull up the audiobook and we can find out for sure. Yeah, that's still an adaptation of the person reading the book, so... But yeah, the scene that I really, really liked was the fact that the Prime Minister's assistant is in St. Mungo's. And so Shacklebot is working the desk as his assistant now. And yeah. he's like, yeah, this new guy, Shacklebot, is just unbelievable. And they go, yeah, because he's one of ours. He gets like twice as much work as anybody else. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's because he's using magic, sir. Obviously, Fudge is replaced for his mishandling of the whole Voldemort thing and being like, it's not real. And people are like, okay. Kind of what we were hoping that would happen to Trump when the pandemic was like, realized that it was a real thing, but clearly has not happened to the everyone yet. The problem there lies in the fact that you can see Voldemort and you can't see the coronavirus. Yeah, you can under a microscope. But anyway, I don't think Trump even knows what a microscope looks like. He probably could pick it out of a lineup, but that would probably be about it. But yeah, that, that first chapter was just, I, I agree with you, it's probably one of my favorite first chapters so far out of all the books I've read. Then you get into a really dark scene immediately after that. So it's like funny to like, bum, bum, yeah, that's pretty much how the whole rest of the series is going to go. Really dark with some light elements, but still, like, you have the dark. overall feeling of just, oh, dang. Yeah, the scene between Bellatrix, Narcissa, and Snape was, like, I still really wowzers. like that. I really like that, too. It was a good scene. I, I definitely have to agree. I don't know if I would say it's quite as my favorite as the first chapter, but it's still pretty, pretty entertaining. Because you basically have Bellatrix going like, you can't say anything, like Snape doesn't know the plan, and then you're breaking your promise to Voldemort and blah, 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 like, and it's clearly just like family trying to look out for family. Mm -hmm. But you find out that at that point that uh, Draco is up to something for Voldemort. You don't know what, um, because it's not specified, and... The only time you really get anything, kind of even a piece of it, is when she's 
trying to ask, or Narcissus trying to ask Snape to look out for her son, and if he can't complete it, to complete it for him so Voldemort doesn't get angry at him. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so ridiculous. Like, it made me really question whether Snape is actually playing the side of the Order or if he's actually playing the side of the Death Eaters a little bit. Is he a spy? Is he a double agent? Is he a triple agent? What is happening? Well, he could only be a double or a spy, and that would be it, technically. But yeah, I know what you mean. No, he's a triple agent. Who else is he playing for? Which third one is he playing for? That would be a triple agent. He'd play for three parties. The muggle prime minister. No. (laughs) That would be a weird plot twist. (laughs) Right? Yeah. And so I loved also the beginning of chapter three. Like, honestly, it seemed like the first three chapters were really, really, like, just interesting. I know that I powered through them immediately in front of you, and you were just like, are you done reading? I'm like, no, more. So you have Harry leaning his fat head against the window waiting for Dumbledore to show up. His room just absolutely in shambles because he doesn't believe Dumbledore is actually going to come. Yeah. He's like, he's far too busy with the order to come and deal with me. You know, like there's no way he's going to show up. But he has a purpose for you, young Harry. Yeah. As always. Yeah. When is he not pulling the strings of the puppet of Harry Potter a little bit? You know? But my favorite scene from that chapter was when they're all sitting down for a drink and the mugs keep smacking the Dursleys in the head. Mm-hmm. And Dumbledore is more or less like, well, it's rude that you're not drinking it. Though I have to say, I do understand their The Dursleys' perspective, yeah. yeah. Yeah, just how much bad experience they have with the characters that we love. Yeah. Like, yeah, we know that these characters are like the good guys, but we also know that like... The only experience these muggles have are, like, all bad when it comes to magic. Yeah, particularly the Dursleys, who have been, like, on the receiving end of some pretty interesting magic, including, like, Dementors and... A tail. Yeah, a house elf. You've got the toffee making Dudley's tongue tongue grow really long. Not long. Thick. Like, blew it up. Yeah, yeah. And long. You also had all the letters coming through all the different crevices of the house. Mm Mm-hmm. That would scare the je- just the bejesus out of me, personally. Also, this unknown thing that I can't tell you about, but you find out about later. So let's not talk about that then. And then Dumbledore kind of breaks down, uh, as you would say, Barney style, the way the magic works on his house to protect Harry currently, yeah. and that he needs to come back after school th- for one more semester, and then after that he you know, needs to go somewhere else to be safe. The Slughorn scene was pretty interesting. I, I wouldn't say it was quite as good as the other scenes, really. Like, it was a little slower paced, I feel like. like these... I thought it was interesting to see how another wizard lived. But that's not his house, though. It's right. just he, he moves, as we learn, from home to home. What, but like is every that not month? a way of living? Is moving from home to home? I don't know. I, I would disagree. Okay. But he turns himself into a chair, which I thought was pretty funny <laughs> to hide. That was that was like that one little glimmer of silly in that. I like that, that he got poked. Yeah. By uh, Dumbledore's wand. Yeah. And then Dumbledore's choice of uh, conversation location after they apparate back to the burrow, the outhouse. <laughs> it's like, really? Uh, I guess it wasn't used in a literal outhouse sense for like what most people in America understand an outhouse to be. It's like uh, a shed. It's more like a shed because it's holding all the brooms and stuff like that in it. So, And then Dumbledore spills the beans that the uh, owls will be coming with the results of the owls. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but before you get to the OWL results, you get a funny little scene with Molly and Arthur. Yeah, um, I do have that notated here. It actually goes into seeing Tonks being depressed first. 
Right, right. Which is weird. I still don't know how I feel about that because, like, she's always the most cheerful person. So it's just, like, what happened? We don't really, like, we know that Sirius died and they're related. But, like, if Harry's getting past it, Tonks should be able to handle it. I know there's more. Stop your muhahaha fingers over there. <laughs> um, I know something you don't know. I would hope so. You've read it 20 freaking times. <laughs> If you didn't know every word memorized by now, I'm a little disappointed. I really don't, so... I'm shocked. But yeah, the Mr. and Mrs. Weasley questions, like, they're... I I said qualifying questions in my notes, like, to make sure that they're not... They're security questions? Yeah, they're security questions. Uh, Mr. Weasley's question is, what is his great ambition? (laughs) You're doing airplanes with your hands, that's right. To find out how airplanes stay up. And it's like... Can that science be that complicated for a magic person to understand? Like, What I think is really funny about the wizarding world is, like, in some ways, they're so much more advanced than the muggle world, but and in other ways, they're, they're so age. far behind. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's done purposefully. And then Miss Weasley's question is, what is the name she wants Mr. Weasley to call her when they're alone together? Molly Wobbles. Molly Wobbles. I thought it was weird that that's the pick that she wants him to call her. I thought it would be, like, the nickname he gave her or something like that. Like, you know, how we have our nicknames for each other, that kind of thing. Maybe she just started liking that nickname. I don't know why you'd want to know, why you'd want to be nicknamed Molly Wobbles. I feel like she was just just a curvy, curvy girl when they met. She was nice and curvy. (laughs) That's what guys like, right? Yes, sometimes, yeah. (laughs) Believe it or not, what the dating shows show you is not always the accurate depiction of what we're interested in. But then Ron pretty much thumps Harry to wake him up, (laughs) um, which I thought was a little crazy. And you find out from Ginny that Fleur is engaged to Bill, which I thought was really weird. (laughs) And I still do. Like, I haven't gotten comfortable with it yet. There is a bit of an age gap here that makes me have a question mark. I was going to say, because Fleur is only, what, like a year or two older than Harry? Two years older than Harry? Well, she was at least 17 in his fourth year, so she would have to be three years at a minimum older okay. than Harry. So three years older than Harry, but Bill has been out of school for quite a bit longer than that. Because Charlie had been out for a few years by the time Harry went to Hogwarts, so he's older than Charlie. Yeah. So. It's weird. Maybe, like, eight years difference? I don't know. I'd have to do, like, a Harry Wikipedia thing to find out. Either way, it's strange. And uh, they've given her the nickname of Flem. Yeah. Which I was like, well, that's rude. It really is. Just because she's, like, over-the-top energetic doesn't mean you need to be mean to her. And she's, like, trying to get to know the family. She's not trying to be rude to them by any means. And, like, everybody's like, she has too much energy. She needs to go die. Like, that's the reaction that the Weasleys seem to have and and Hermione for that matter too so the only I person think, that's really on board with her being there is Ron because, well because he's got like a crush on her and has for a while you know I love Hermione's reaction when Harry tells her that the owls results are coming oh yeah she's like what what oh my god, oh my god they're coming today oh like she starts freaking out and I'm like I could picture Liberty doing that thank <laughs> if, you if that was her in real life like going through the owl tests, I could see you being that. I could see you being Hermione, basically, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, chapter six, you go to Diagon Alley. Some interesting things happen there between the cloak fittings where Harry, Ron, and Hermione run into uh, Draco. And honestly, I, I got on the edge of my seat right there because I was like, here it comes. Here comes a duel in the robe shop. I was so ready for it. And like some of the sick burns that they were dropping on each other, yeah. like, woof. Well, to drop in really quickly. So, 
there is a six year and 11 months age gap between Bill and Fleur. I feel like it's more than that. That doesn't seem right. I literally just looked it up on Harry Potter Wiki. Or like Wiki, Wiki, whatever. On the Wicca, I'm like, oh god, we're getting into really dark magic on the, the Wiki now. The fandom-specific Wikipedia. Gotcha. So, like, it had the exact days they were born and years and stuff. So, six years and 11 months. So, basically seven years. We'll call it what it is, roughly. It's kind of weird. But yeah, that, the mic drops and the robe fittings were, like, pretty, pretty intense burns back and forth. Um, Harry telling Narcissa maybe they have a double bed set up for you right. in, in Azkaban. And yeah. I was like, oof. And then she was like, but you'll be meeting your godfather sooner than I would be locked up in Azkaban. And I was like, double oof. Yeah, no. Harry is so much sassier in the books than he ever gets to be in the movies. And it's you see sad. it there. And they go in and see Fred and George's store, which I thought was pretty funny. There were a lot of really cool things there. Yeah. Um, I didn't go into listing them all because, God, we'd be here forever. It's kind of like the hockey draft situation. Yeah, no. I'll just say, like... It shows that they are more ready for, like, the real world to be, like, shop owners. Than Miss Weezy thought they were. Than anyone gave them credit for, just because they were always pranksters. But you have to have realized that they're actually good in school, because how else would they have made all these products if they hadn't been? Right. And I know, I wonder if you would have gotten a pygmy puff if you had the opportunity. If I had an opportunity, I would get like five. Five? They sound really cute. Yeah. I In the movie, they're also cute. Yeah. I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know how cute they are, but the book describes them pretty darn cute. Yeah. yeah. I, I would have as many as you would let me. Yeah. I don't know that the cat would be happy about the pygmy puffs. Probably not. Yeah. You see Draco wandering off by himself while they're in the store, and while everybody's distracted by the pygmy puffs, Harry's like, and poof, basically pulls over the uh, invisibility cloak and follows them, follows Draco. And they're like listening into what's going on. And at one point, like they lose sight of him. So they're like, oh, we need to move. We need to move. And Draco's basically threatening this store shop owner for something. And nobody knows what it is. Right. Um, they just know that there's two of them, supposedly. That was an interesting scene. And I love that Hermione tries to go in there and pretend like she's like trying to buy it for him. That is so cringeworthy like that's one of those things that like i want to just read it like between my fingers like i don't really want to look but i have to look it's kind of the way i read it i didn't really like it that much i was like hermione you're so dumb you think that everybody's stupider than you because you're so smart normally i mean that's the way she acted it's, let's be it's honest it's probably true that he is not as intelligent as she is but she's not as street smart as he is right and that's the way she was she's trying to play it like oh well if i'm smarter than him i can outsmart him yeah. and and he's like no so you get to see them basically being escorted around by Hagrid that whole time, which I thought was pretty neat because it's the first time you see Hagrid back in the book again. Yeah. They get out of the cars from the Ministry of Magic, and it's just Hagrid in normal muggle land standing there. Right. I couldn't fathom the just the looks on people's faces as they're walking by. Haven't you ever seen someone really, really tall in public and been like, whoa, and then moved on with your day? Yeah, but then imagine also them being even taller than that because True. like he's supposed to be taller than humans. So yeah. over 10 foot, right? It's like my understanding. He is a half giant. So normal giants around 20 feet. But also we know that Grop is, who is his half brother, is a like, runt of the litter so maybe Hagrid is slightly smaller than 10 feet yeah but who knows if that came from his mom's side or the dad's side his height 
either way though they they get to that same escort from the oars and the ministry vehicles back to the train station to get on the Hogwarts express as everybody's already getting on the the train harry pulls mr weasley aside and like this is the things that we actually were doing and Mr. Weasley's like, I knew you were up to something. Like, I'm not stupid. Well, plus I raised Fred and George. Yeah. I know when someone's lying to me about this sort of thing. Yeah. And I don't know. It bothered me that Mr. Weasley was like playing it down the entire time. Like, obviously he believes him because later in the book, you find out that uh, he actually does go and search the, the home again. So. Right. But also, I think he knows Harry very well at this point in that if he nudges him in a direction that it, probably right. Harry's gonna with any sort of positive confirmation just go all in on whatever it is. Yeah. So he wants Harry to like be a good boy and focus on his schooling and stop caring about what other people are doing. Uh, when he gets on the train he tries to get Ron and Hermione to come sit with him and they're like Deuces, prefect duty, right. um, as always. So as he's walking down the train, everybody's like staring at him because he's now the chosen one, basically, is the way everybody sees Instead him. Instead of being the pariah, he is now the savior. Yeah. And so like everybody's just like drooling over him and like a group of girls try to invite him into their, their cabin. Romilda Vane. Yeah. That technically happens later. Romilda Vane comes to persuade him to leave the one he's in to go well, to another one. Yeah. But as he's walking down the hall, Luna shouts at him from behind and he turns around and is like, Luna, how have you been? Like, best friend somehow, you know. Save some... me from this mess. Yeah. And then Neville's talking about how his grandma was so impressed by his magic abilities at the ministry that he got one of the last wands from uh, Ollivander. And this is where I'd mixed up something from five because I thought his wand got replaced before he started working on his magic in the DA. But his wand gets broken during the fight at the ministry. And that's why he gets a replacement wand. Right. And it's cherry wood and unicorn hair. core. I don't know the flexibility. It doesn't say it in the book, so... (laughs) But he he was, like, just flaunting it off, like, this is so great. And obviously Luna's got her copy of the Quibbler with her with the Spectroscope, right? Spectrospecs. Spectrospecs. I knew it was something like that. I just couldn't remember. Yeah. I mixed up Sneakoscope and Spectrospecs. Probably. Yeah. No idea what Spectrospecs do, but she has them because they don't say at that point. Yeah. So then you have Vane show up. I'm trying to remember, I don't think it's Hermione that brings the letter to him for Slughorn's, like, little meeting. of Get together? Yeah. Is it not Jenny? No, because Jenny was there in surprise. Oh, okay. Someone gives It was just him... a random girl, I think, that gives it to him. And he goes down there with Neville, because it's for Neville and him. And they walk in, and Jenny is sitting there on his right-hand side. And they're like, what are you doing here? Like, for bat bogey hex. Yeah, for a bat bogey hex. Was very impressive. Yep. But, yeah, the train ride, like, he's in there with another Slytherin guy. Uh, Blaze Zambini. Yep. You're welcome. I knew his name was Blaze. I couldn't remember his last name, and I didn't write that down. That's stupid of me. But he follows Zambini out after the meeting. The meeting is just basically like a brag fest. It's really, like... He's just trying to pick out his favorites to, like, collect them. Yeah. I don't really like the thought of him collecting people and or... Like, the brag fest, I felt was really dumb, as did even Harry. Harry was, like, just, he's trying to, like, dumb it down. Like, it's not a big thing. We didn't do a big thing. Like It's not that impressive. Yeah. So Harry ends up coming out with Neville and seeing that Zambini's a little bit ahead of them. And so Harry puts on the invisibility cloak to try to catch him and sneak into the Slytherin carriage carriage or compartment or cabin or whatever word you like to use. We can go with compartment. Yeah. 
And when he gets in there, or he's trying to get in there, Zambini slams the door on his foot. And I'm like, how do you keep your mouth shut and not say anything <laughs> at that point? Like, my feet are so fragile. Like, if I even bump it into something, I'm like, gosh, that hurts, you mm-hmm. know? Blaze looks back, like, super confused. Like, what is going on? And as is everybody else in the compartment, like, these stupid broken doors is, like, what they play it down mm-hmm. to. Harry jumps up to where they're keeping the chests with their stuff in it, basically. And Harry's concerned that, like, his foot was visible because it was, as it turns out. And Draco kind of, like, noticed the blur but didn't really, like, piece it all together. Like, he's like, maybe I'm just losing it. You have Draco go on his little tangent about how he doesn't want to go to school next year and all that jazz. It's not important, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, well, because, you know, it's, it's going to be taken over by then, so who cares, right? So when Goyle's grabbing his trunk down to change into his robes, he bumps Harry again, and Harry makes a noise that time. And again, Draco is just staring up there like, okay, now I definitely know there's somebody up there, right? And Harry's like, I don't think he knows. I'm like, Harry, there you are again, underestimating your opponent. Shocker. And so everybody's getting off the train at that point because the train gets to Hogsmeade Station. And Draco's like, give me one minute. I got to go back to the compartment or to the cabin or whatever term you want to use for it. And he puts a petrification curse on Harry, who's still underneath the cloak. So it's just like, dude, you kind of deserved it a little bit. Like, Worst job at spying ever. Yeah. And so like... Draco's like, if it was only, if it was this easy, I'm like, he goes, I don't kind of understand why my dad couldn't handle you, you know, type shit, and kicks him in the face, breaks his nose, and then steps on his fingers, and then just covers him back up with his cloak, so he's still invisible. Yeah. And then Tonks, the depressed Tonks, comes to save the day, obviously. I just love the scene, it really felt like an Indiana Jones film where they're like, jump out! Yeah, yeah. As the train's moving, which was kind of funny. But Tonks fixes Harry's broken nose, but then we find out later doesn't fix the blood that's all over his face from yeah. it. <laughs> I don't know if Scourgeify works on human waste. Clearly or not. Human fluids. Yeah. But Tonks takes him up to the castle and drops him off. And she was hoping that Hagrid was the one responding, but in turn it was Snape. And Snape was like, Hallelujah, Christmas came early. Like, you could just see in Snape's face, like, here we go. With how often he gets to punish Harry, he really shouldn't be surprised. Yeah. So he docks points for him being late and not getting out the train and then also docks points for him not being in his robe. So it's negative 75 points, just like instant. Yeah. That was interesting. Um, When they get up to the Great Hall, they realize that Hagrid is still missing as well, um, which was a little weird. But eventually Hagrid walks in and they all kind of wave to each other and whatnot. But when he sits down at the, the tables in the Great Hall, Harry's like, why is everybody looking at me? Yeah. And Hermione's like, well, you've got blood all over you still. Like, let me clean that up for you. On top of that, dude, you're also the only person not wearing the proper robes. And then they introduced Slughorn as the new potions professor, which was kind of a shocker to everybody because everybody thought he was going to be the new Defense Against the Dark Arts instructor. Right. Since that was the open position. And then Dumbledore introduces Snape as the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. And he just does one of these like, yes, yes, that's me. I am Snape. Ha 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 ha. Mm-hmm. type situations and that's pretty much wraps up the great hall scene like there's really not much that goes on beyond that like beyond ron going like oh it's a cursed job you know like, at least we'll get rid of him in one year yeah but the next morning harry and ron and hermione are on the way i believe it's down to breakfast basically harry's explaining to them what he heard on the train and he drops Voldemort's name a couple times, and Hagrid's like, hey, 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 don't say that. You don't have the ability to say that. Like, And he's like, why? Dumbledore says it. And he's like, yeah, he's Dumbledore, stupid. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not you. 
But Hagrid is excited that they're going to be in his class again the next day, which we know is not the case. But he does not know that. And nobody has the heart to tell him. He's going to find out eventually. Wouldn't it be better if you told him versus him just seeing you're not there? Correct. Get out ahead of it, right? Right. But after breakfast, he's sitting there at the hall and they have to get their class schedules. And McGonagall's going around going like, well, did you want to take potions? Like, he goes, but I didn't get an an outstanding in potions, so I can't. And she goes, well, that was Snape's standards, not Slughorn's. And he goes, heck yeah. That's a little convenient for her. Yeah, it worked out somehow in his way. They get the first Defense Against the Dark Arts class with Snape, and they find out they're going to be learning nonverbal spells, which was part of your peeve with the last movie. With all the movies, you have people using nonverbal magic without any sort of, like, history of learning about nonverbal magic. I didn't know it existed until like this point otherwise the movies now i have never seen in the books wandless magic which we see in the third movie yeah but non-verbal magic exists i just it wasn't explained at any prior point yeah for the movies and so he gets his first attention because go figure it's snape while they're doing the non-verbal magic snape tries to test out harry's abilities and harry responds with a verbal spell yeah. And shoots Snape across the room. Go figure you're going to get his attention, you dummy. Like, you're supposed to be practicing one thing. Now, again, it's Snape clearly just picking on Harry. What else is new? But still. Yeah, another reason to hate Snape. Using his position of power to pick on kids. Yep. Then you see the first potions class as well. Um, Harry gets a book that's pretty important because he doesn't have the reading or class materials because he wasn't planning on taking potions when right. he went to school. Um, so he's given a secondhand book, which it's, it's creatively interesting towards later in the book where he ends up getting a new copy and then just switching the covers on them. Mm-hmm. And Hermione is like just losing her mind. Like that's crap. Well, also that's kind of horrifying when you love books to see someone damage a book like that. Yeah. Um, of course they have magic so they can fix it. And so both Ron and him are given used books. This one particularly is owned by, uh, previously by the Half-Blood Prince is what it's signed as. I assume that's Voldemort. I don't know. Again, we're not that far through, but like, I know that he is also Half-Blood. He's not, you know, full blood magic either, which we get into a little bit with the Pensive and Bob Ogden's stuff. I really don't want to delve too deep into that scene. I didn't like it that much just because... Mr. Gaunt is super abusive to his children, right. like both of them, but more so his daughter, but still like yeah. super abusive. And I, I didn't really enjoy it that much. Like it's interesting because it sets the basis for some other plot points. But again, like we're trying not to bury you down with a million other things with all that. And then in chapter 11, you get Quidditch tryouts, which are interesting. You find out that Hermione used magic to help Ron get the goalie position. Her uh, argument more or less was, well, look how heated he got. And Harry's you like, you don't want that on your team. You don't want that on your team. But Harry was like, but how do we know he would have been that angry if he wouldn't have been cheated? Yeah, yeah. Like, but it looks like they got a pretty good team together for the most part overall. And after that, Harry and Ron and Hermione go down to talk to Hagrid, where Hagrid more or less ignores them. Until Harry threatens to blow down his front door. And Hagrid comes out, so you're threatening to blow off the front door of a home of a professor? And he, like, gets all defensive and stuff. I really liked that scene just because it went from, like, Hagrid trying to be a tough guy to, like, Hagrid He's being, like, a, a big softy about Aragog being sick and stuff. So it was just, like, complete 180. Just, like, Woo. I feel bad for Hagrid. I don't feel bad for the spider. Yeah, because you don't like spiders. Nor does Ron. Ron was probably, like, good. 
Well, also the way he treated Harry and Ron. Yeah. The spider, not Hagrid, obviously. Yeah. After all of that, Harry is supposed to be reporting to Snape's detention. We don't really see that in the chapter. But Slughorn invites him to another meeting, this time with Hermione. And Ron is a little jealous of it. And it's just right. like, dude... You don't want to be invited to these meetings, I promise you. Like, you really well, don't. just let him go to one. He'll figure that out. Yeah. Until then, he's going to be thinking they're great. Yeah. Hermione doesn't have an excuse. Uh, Harry's just like, I can't go. I've got to make up this detention. Harry's clearly just like, I'm not going to any more of these freaking meetings. Like, right. I'm just not going to do it. He's already done with them. Yeah. Hermione doesn't have an excuse, so she says she's going to go. Again, you don't see either the meeting or the detention at the end of the chapter. It's literally like, fade to black after that. So yep. it's just... It's good so far. Like I mean, I'm I'm enjoying it. Honestly, like if I if I didn't get so tired at the end of the night, I probably would end up reading more of it every night. But there's only so much time in the day that my body can be awake. <laughs> I like and dislike this book, and like I don't know if I put it in my bottom two or not. It's just trying to think of a way to say this that's not going to spoil things, spoil anything for you. It's just. I feel like there's a lot of setting up of things. Gotcha. Which makes sense. The last book did a lot of that, though, too. So, yeah. And when I say a lot of that, I mean, like, a lot of that. But at least this one's about 200 pages shorter for you. Thank goodness. And that's what you're going to be continuing on with next week. Yep. That is what I will be reading next week. And actively trying to be more of a participator in all the social medias to try to take a little weight off your shoulders. Yeah. But I think that's pretty much it yep. for Harry Potter. So... We'll catch you next week, guys, uh, for some more sports. Hopefully a little less hockey heavy because, you know, the signings hopefully have slowed down by then. Yeah. But as always, make sure you guys check out all of our social media, which will be linked in the show notes. And we'll see you guys next Tuesday. Bye, guys. Bye.